taking a little break from our study on the life of Abraham. Um, we uh, are traditionally on the Christian calendar, and we don't always follow tradition too much here in that, but uh, typically uh, this would be considered Palm Sunday, and this would be the day that often many Christians around the world gather and they celebrate in this last week of the, what they call the Holy Week before Easter, um, and they, the, that week traditionally begins again on that first Sunday where Jesus commemorates when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, presented himself as the Messiah, as the king. And as he came into Jerusalem, uh, riding on that donkey uh, that no one else had ever ridden on, and he rides in and the crowd cried out, Hosanna, right? Uh, Meaning, save us. And blessed be God, right? Blessed be God in the highest. And uh, the glory going to him. Actually, Luke's gospel will read a little piece of that. And then we're going to go to the Psalms because I want to look at Psalm 29 today and talk about the the holy God of glory, all right? And what is that all about? Well, Luke chapter 19 and verse 37, the Bible here declares of that event called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was the days before he would go to the cross and he would there hang and die on our behalf. Uh, the sin of the world being placed upon him. And on that Friday of that time, of that week, that is when Jesus would have been crucified. And then on the third day, on that Sunday, following, just a week from this event, he would be raised up. And next week, God willing, we'll be gathered here in this building and we'll be celebrating the resurrection. Uh, And uh, if not, as Al reminded us, the Lord coming for his own uh, that could be this week. Wouldn't that be great? Celebrate in heaven instead, right? Uh, or uh, by death. We always know that that also is the hope beyond death in all of those things. But someday we're going to see these things. Anyways, Luke chapter 19, verse 37 says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones should immediately or would immediately cry out. I love that description of what Luke gives us in the gospel account of the entry of Jesus into this uh, city that, well, his disciples, these were a a multitude of disciples, not just uh, his hand-picked disciples that were with him, uh, but rather these were the followers of Christ. And I say followers, uh, no doubt some of them were followers for the wrong reason. Some were there because they expected he would come in and finally defeat Rome and put down the secular government that had overtaken them. And as a Jew, they were under that oppressive heel of Rome. And that's the way they looked at it. They looked at it as their freedoms had been taken away. And yet they enjoyed the peace that Rome had brought for the period of decades at that point known as the Pax Romana. And yet they looked forward to a time when Messiah, the Christ, would come and he would put down his enemies. Because after all, when you read through the Old Testament, you come 
to these passages, uh, messianic passages that talk about his great triumph. So often when it's talked about a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, no doubt many in that crowd, and even his closest of disciples, thought this was the time he's going to present himself as king of kings, and the enemies of our land are gone. But they didn't understand that Jesus first came, the Messiah first came, not to conquer worldly political powers, but to conquer sin, which is the greatest enemy and the thing that enslaves all of us. And so he entered into Jerusalem on that donkey coming down, and even these old religious Pharisees, they said, you're being too loud. Keep your disciples quiet, right? Get in line. And Jesus reminds them that if these be silent, then the rocks and the hills would cry out. And I would just say that, that the glory of God is demonstrated from himself but it really is demonstrated throughout the whole world and if his people would not proclaim that then I would say to you that the rocks and the hills would cry out this day and they would let us know that God is holy and he's glorified and we better get in line right with that not get in line with the Pharisees anyways I just set that up because um, I was actually this morning and I kind of changed my, my, my message this morning because I was listening to something and I heard Psalm 29 and I went to that psalm and I said, oh, this will just fit in. And then I ended up uh, working that in and I said, well, no, I'm going to go into Psalm 29 as my main text. So that's kind of where I went this morning with this. So I uh, make no guarantees where, I, where we'll end up, but I'll try to conclude at the right time is all I can say. We're going to read Psalm 29. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, subtitled is praise to God in his holiness and majesty and that song that we just sang at the end here um, kind of reminds us that he's holy isn't he he's the holy creator he's our holy God there's none like him and there's great glory and splendor in that well David writes here give unto the Lord O you mighty ones give unto the Lord glory and strength Give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever the lord will give strength to his people the lord will bless his people with peace as i think of jesus coming down into that great city of jerusalem in that day when he rode in and the people cried out hosanna or blessed be the lord as well save us and they gave glory to god in the highest they were really uh, as they were crying out in worship they were giving glory to the Messiah, the Christ, God the Son, who was coming in. I don't know if they fully understood all that was happening. Yet, 
in ancient times, and by the way, that's the same Messiah who would sit on David's throne forever, because that was part of the covenant that God made with David, is there would be one who would come out of your family, out of the root, all right, out of Jesse, in the stem of Jesse, uh, David's family, and he would be king, and his kingdom would be forever. His kingdom would have no end. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he rode in, they would have been reminded of those very truths that were sung about in the Psalms and in other parts of the scriptures that God is the God of all the earth and his voice will shake the heavens, his voice will shake the wilderness, his voice shakes the earth. And his voice goes out today, by the way. I want to look at that because this psalm breaks up into three scenes is what it is and the first one is that God's glory in the heavenly temple see the psalm begins here really talking about the God of glory it's used actually four times in this passage uh, referring to God is a God of glory his brightness his beauty his radiance all of that contained within himself and the scene starts with a heavenly scene He says, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Now, the mighty ones are referring to um, people in prominent positions here on earth. The mighty people who are the leaders of the earth. The kings of the earth. The whatever, great standing armies of the earth. All you mighty ones. Make sure that you give unto the Lord, as it says here, unto the Lord glory and strength. Wouldn't it be great in our world today if more leaders would stand up and before they talked about their record of how great they are and how good they are, how glorious they are, they would stop and pause and not say any of that and refer to the God of glory who is our only strength. And he's stronger than anything on this earth, including the strongest armies of the world or the strongest forests of the world as what is referred to later on in this he goes on to say give unto the lord the glory do his name do you know god's glory is due him you say well how is it due him well it's due because you know what there are people in our world today that do not praise god there are people in our community in our families and others that don't give god the glory and god is worthy of his glory He's the only one that is due that kind of glory. And there's a vacuum in our world today, in our society today, of people that will not give God the, the glory that's due his name. He says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And we've talked a lot before about what holiness means and, and, and holy. Uh, and we sometimes have the wrong impression because sometimes people call themselves holy and they're not. Right? And we've seen those kind of things. And then, but the, the reality is this, when someone who is separated unto God, that's really what the idea of holiness means and what the word even means, and God himself being the absolute holiness of anything, which is himself, um, he reflects that in beauty, total beauty. And when people are right with God and they act more like him, there's a beautiful thing about that. But you know, it's not about us, it's about him. He is holy. He's the holy God. And there's something splendid in that. That's, I think in the Old English, it says the splendor of his holiness, the beauty of his holiness. He reigns supreme and it's beautiful. Do you know that in the heavenly 
temple, as what is referred to sort of as David is making that analogy of not an earthly temple made with hands, but rather a heavenly abode where God is. That's heaven, by the way. You know what? It's beautiful in heaven. Sometimes we think this earth is the most beautiful thing. I have to tell you, there is a, this earth is beautiful in many ways. It also can be very ugly, can it? It's filled with all kinds of bad things as well. This time of year, I, I dread this time of year in northern Maine because it becomes mud season for it pretty much from here all the way till whenever it dries up, which could be in June, whatever. Uh, and it's mud season, and, and I don't like mud season, okay? I mean, I will go out and take a walk with my wife if she threatened me and stuff like that. I have to go out and do that. But I've, I've tromped enough in the mud in my life that I'm done. You know, I don't like to do that. I'd rather stay in and do something more productive. But uh, I say that because we're in that kind of world where there is those seasons of mud. And sometimes it's not just mud, is it? It's a world filled with sin and evil. And you hear every day, you turn the news on and you see of some great tragedy that's unfolded, some sinful act that has taken murders, thefts, whatever else. This world can be an ugly place. But not in heaven. There's nothing there that will ever break through and steal. There's nothing there that will ever commit an atrocious act against another. There's only holiness and beauty. Oh, it'll be a great place that will be a place of of, uh, radiance and beauty. um, And it will be a place also uh, that uh, we will see with our own eyes. Just so if you're a believer. He says in verse 3, the voice of the Lord has gone Over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. Here, the psalmist is describing as best he can how God booms in his voice across the waters. And you think about um, if you've ever been in a thunderstorm and you've had lightning strike really close or real near you and the thunder that is produced out of that and you, you know, that scares everybody. I remember my grandfather, one day we were sitting in a camper trailer. Um, we were down in Bridgewater, Maine. They used to go in summer there. I was just a little kid, and I remember he was sitting there, and he had a drink in his hand, and, and we were just in the middle of the day. It wasn't raining or anything like that, but the thunderclouds were building, and all of a sudden, a lightning bolt came right down and struck a great big pine tree about 50 yards away from where we were, and I remember him yelling and throwing his drink just like that. Sometimes there's the things of this earth get a hold of you, don't they? Imagine what God's voice is like when he can make that just seem like little stuff, right? God can thunder and he can lay flat a whole forest, for example. That's what the psalmist says in this. And he can get a hold of us and do that. I'm glad that the Lord is able to do that. Sometimes the things of this earth, which are storms, they are things that will actually really point us toward heaven. And that's the way God is, isn't he? The voice of the Lord, the voice of God, and we see that. We are to give glory to God in his highest places. Do you know, in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we get little glimpses, and that's all they are, because it's just a few verses, but they describe what heaven is going to be like in just these concise verses. And, and again, the things that aren't described must be even, even better But John, when he has this heavenly vision from the Lord, and he's told to write these things down, he gives a little glimpse. That's all it is, a little glimpse of what awaits the believer. In Revelation 5, for example, he says this, Then I looked, and I heard the voice 
of many angels around the throne. I, I don't know what angels sound like. I do know they have a voice. That's what it says here. And we know elsewhere in scripture they have a voice. Uh, they are the ones that were there and rejoiced at the very creation. When things were created here, the, the angels rejoiced. They were created about that time prior to that, though. We know also that um, angels rejoiced at the birth of Christ, right? And they, a whole heavenly host helped announce that as well. And then we know that uh, angels at various times have uh, made announcements, those kind of things. But in heaven, can you imagine all the angels of heaven around the throne? And it says the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. They're innumerable is what he says. <coughs> saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Who's the lamb who was slain? Jesus. Who's the one that was to be given glory, according to Psalm 29? The Lord. Yet in heaven, that same one that David attributes glory to, the Lord, is specifically even more so given that title of the lamb. So when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, as he was entering in, riding on that donkey, veiled in flesh, a very humble thing to ride in on a donkey, by the way. You know, if you wanted to make an impression on people as a great world leader, I would say that's not how you do it, all right? Right? Uh, Alexander the Great, when he rode into Jerusalem a few hundred years prior to that event, and when he came in, um, it is described in some of the ancient writings of how he presented himself as a conquering king in Jerusalem. And he didn't actually lay waste to Jerusalem because they submitted to him. And the high priest had met him outside the city and showed him from the book of Daniel how he was prophesied about. And, and Alexander the Great thought that was a good idea and thought, well, that's good. And so they welcomed him in. But this is how Alexander came in. He came, actually, before he came in, came... Um, thousands of cavalry uh, soldiers all of his of his warriors all on horses and they were decked in their finest armor and the 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 beauty of that was stunning they were preceded after that by um, thousands more of foot soldiers same thing dressed in their finest armor and regalia and they came in the fanfare took hours actually for that finally alexander the great came into jerusalem and he came in riding on a white steed and he came in to the sound of trumpets being blown and the announcement of his presence and all that and he rode into jerusalem that's how world leaders would ride in somewhere not jesus jesus came in on a donkey he came in riding humbly because he was going to take not only the human flesh that he had already taken, that humility, but he was going to humble himself even unto death, the death of the cross. He comes in and he knew the people there didn't know. They didn't know who was even really visiting them at that point. But they, he knew that by the end of that week, he would be dead. He would die for you and me, suspended between heaven and earth in shame, in abject humility, being stripped of any robe that he had on, being, the Bible says he was stripped naked, placed there on a cross. And there he dies for 
the sin of the world. He being holy and perfect and blameless, dying like a lamb as it were slain. He was slain. He was the very lamb of God. Look what he says here, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That is what is going to be said in heaven. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, all that are in them I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. David, as he writes this Psalm 29, he's by faith looking ahead to that day he will be with God in glory. And we know even more, now having the completed Bible, in the book of Revelation we get that little glimpse, right, of those things. Well, I could say more about that, but the holy God of glory, we see his glory in the heavenly temple, But we also see the glory of God in the earthly tempest. And I already made mention of that. That this world itself has a lot of stirrings. A lot of thunders. A lot of storms. That's what a tempest is, right? And it's there in the midst of the tempest that God displays his glory also. We see that. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. And the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fires of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. You, you know, as you're reading this, um, they tell me, and I don't know Hebrew as a language. I have some Hebrew tools and I can look up word meanings and that kind of stuff. But they say that this psalm is very poetic and it's very easy to sing the way it flows. I love that when you come to something that's just as like that. And those that know Hebrew say this is just one of those psalms that as you sing it, it flows from your lips. And it just is one of those that's just perfect in so many ways. But it reminds us of the glory of God and who he is and what he's like. And we see that. How really he's describing an event, and it's actually a geographic event because he names places. And he really goes from the Mediterranean Sea where these clouds would form and then come up over the mountains of Lebanon, that eastward as they moved eastward, and then towards the northern part of the land of Israel. And then the storm continues to move eastward over Mount Hermon. That's what Syrian means in that area, or Carmel in that area. And then you have where it turns south, and then it travels a few hundred miles down to Kadesh in the wilderness, and there it is dispersed. And it was accompanied all the way through by the voice of the Lord that's over it all. It just reminds us that even in the loudest and scariest times that this earth can throw at us, God is still over it. And his glory is like that. David likens the Lord to a tempest, but yet he also tells us flatly that he's over it. In other words, he's not part of it in that way. He's actually 
greater than that. Seven times you, fra- you see the phrase, uh, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord, voice of the Lord. The number seven in scripture is often associated with a number of completion. Think about six days God created the, heaven, the earth, the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, right? And there's that completed act. It was a time where God says cease. That's what Sabbat means, or Shabbat means to Sabbath, to, to rest, to cease. It wasn't that God had to rest. It was rather he commemorates creation and all that was created in a day where he says rest. We, by the way, celebrate not Shabbat, but we celebrate the Resurrection Day, which is a different day of the week. It's the first day of the week. We celebrate not of creation, although creation is an amazing thing, right? We could, uh, and remember what God has done in creation, but we celebrate even greater. We celebrate a resurrection. The Lord being victorious over everything, including death. Nothing in this creation is victorious over death except for one, and that's the Lord of glory. We celebrate a greater, really, because of that, a holy day that is set apart, and it should be set apart for him and to commemorate. By the way, what did it cost God to create? Nothing much, really, for comparatively. He created using his word. It cost him a few words to create things. What did it cost him to pay for your salvation and my salvation? It cost him his very blood. His life to save us. Very high cost. That's why I think that the Lord's Day is an important day. And I'm glad you're here. And you join us here this morning. Or online or wherever you're joining to focus on the Lord of glory. Amen for that. We see that used, um, the voice of the Lord used over and over again in scripture. I have a few references I put in. Psalm 18 Verse 13, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Wow. Back in the book of Job, quote here from Job 37, at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the end of the earth. After it a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which cannot we cannot comprehend. You know what that last part of that verse in Job says is that God does things we can't even understand. We're so smart. At least we think we are. If you don't, you know, just ask somebody, right? We always think we're smart. We are supposedly the smartest generation of human history. I, I don't disagree. I kind of disagree with that. I think we have more information than we've ever had. You have to sift through a lot of it. But someone put out a point there that Back in about 1960, when you opened up your owner's manual for a new car, it told you how to uh, adjust the valves on the, your car. You actually could do that, you know. Now it says don't br- drink the battery fluid, all right? So I'm not really sure we're smarter, anyways, uh, going down. But anyways, I, I say that because, you know, we sometimes think we're really smart because we do all these great things. And man can do a lot of neat things. 
I don't doubt that. When I watched yesterday, um, you know, another launch into space, I guess it was two days ago now, uh, that Axiom project and uh, SpaceX, and I watch this rocket go up into space, and then yesterday it docks with the International Space Station, and, and I think we've kind of lost the wonder of that, but that's still pretty amazing. They say the decibels of, you know, the, the sound of those rockets going off, I mean, if you were near the, the launch pad, it would actually blow your eardrums, okay, uh, in that, and from miles away, you can hear it, it just rumbles and roars, and it goes off out there into the heavens, but it's nothing like what God is like. God is the one who can speak and it's in. It's a, he speaks things into existence. He's the one that holds all things. Uh, Paul says, by him all things consist. Sunisteo, they're sustained. He's the one that holds it all together. He's the one that makes it possible. He's the one that gives man a mind that can do those kind of things. And yet, there's things God can do that we can't even begin to comprehend. Maybe someday we'll understand more when we're in heaven. We'll have the full use of our minds maybe then. Maybe we'll understand things as we see them from a heavenly perspective and not just from this earth, which so often distracts us, doesn't it? We see something terrible happen, and it, indeed things, terrible things can happen, and yet God can use, just like he says here, the storms, and he can use those very things to bring glory to himself. I don't understand that. I don't think I can understand that fully. I just know that God is worthy of his, his worship, his due worship. And we need to fall in line with that and give him glory. I often think of that and <clears throat> when Mr. Breeden, who spoke here years ago, and Mr. Breeden was one of my teachers at Bible school. I had him, I think it was his last full year of, of full-time teaching at MBBI, and he retired in 1993. And I can remember Mr. Breeden, um, you know, as a, just a, he was a man of God, but he was somebody, that, a very humble servant. Uh, some, some of you guys remember him. Some of you had him as a teacher. And he was one of those guys that just, I, I loved to learn from him. He was in his 80s then. And just a man that had walked with the Lord many, many decades. And I learned much from him. But you know, one thing I never heard him talk about much was a very hard thing that happened in his life. And I heard others mention it. When he was, years before that, in the late 1960s, it was just before graduation, and his daughter got in a vehicle with a group of teens, I believe it was, and they were headed off to get together, just kind of like a, a time of celebrating graduation, that kind of stuff. And the driver... Uh, was careless and went off the road and and her, his daughter was killed I think that would be one of the worst things you could ever have happen as a parent some of you may have had those kind of experiences and I, I know you've walked through some dark waters and an RCMP officer had to go to the Breeden home and knock on the door and tell them that their daughter was dead and Mr. Breeden looked at that RCMP officer after he delivered the most horrific news of his life. And he, Mr. Breeden said this, he, and the RCMP officer testified after that. He said, he quoted from the book of Job. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Did they weep? Sure. Did they hurt? Yes. 
Did God get glory in the middle of a tragedy? Yes, he did. I can't comprehend that. I would hope that if I ever faced something like that or similar, I could have the strength to muster that kind of verse. Maybe not. Sometimes we just cry out. We don't know what to say or to utter. And praise God that the Holy Spirit makes groaning or intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered. When I'm groaning and I can't even know what to say, he knows what to say. He knows what it's like. He asks Job, have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? No. I had some teachers growing up that had thundering voices. Sometimes I was on the other end of that voice. I remember Philip Blanchett. He was the principal at, I've, I've mentioned him before, principal at Eagle Lake when we had a school there. And from one end of the hallway to the other, <clears throat> he could holler out, no running! And I mean, you just stop, man. You just stop because you were running. And, and, he, and I thought, if he ever caught me and got up, you know, caught me, I'm dead. That's the way I always looked at it. But he had that voice that just put, put you right where you should be. And we didn't run in the hall for very long without that voice. I mean, it could be a loud, you can picture a recess, all the kids coming in, all the noise, and I could hear his voice over that. You know, there's one that's louder than that, <laughs> by far. And that is the Lord. Can you thunder with a voice like his? The answer is no, you can't. He has a way of reaching right out there and getting a hold of us and making us know that. Book of Revelation, chapter 10. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. I'll tell you, if you think heaven's going to be a boring place, that's, that's, I'd like to see that right there. I've never seen anything like that. And that's just one of things, right? But look what it goes on to say. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left on the, on the land. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, many believe that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. John heard something he couldn't even write about. It's an interesting number, seven thunders. David talks about the seven voices of the Lord. Seven is the number of completion. God, in his fullness of revelation, demonstrating that thundering voice. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. That was written a thousand years ago. Before Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. And you know what the psalmist there says? Lift up your heads. Look up. He says, oh you gates and be lifted up. You know, the gates of Jerusalem. Right? Jesus would have come down into that area off the Mount of Olives. Into that eastern gate. Someday he's coming again, by the way. And they, they need to open that gate. <laughs> Open the gate of your heart. O you gates, be lifted up. You everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. You know, that's an invitation. 
absolute invitation that if you'll open the, you know, in this case, the spiritual gates of your heart, of your life, of your mind in that way, and you will let him come in, he promises to save you from your sins. You have to turn from your sins. See, (coughs) sin has a way of locking up that heart, doesn't it? Sin has a way of doing that. And we have to turn from our sin. If you don't turn from your sin, the gate's still closed. That's called repentance. That's the biblical term. Those that were gathered there in Jerusalem, there was a group there for sure. I know the Pharisees, they wanted the disciples quiet. Don't you say anymore. You know where their their heart gate was? It was closed. Sad. They were the ones that knew more of the scriptures than anybody there. Except Jesus. They knew the word of God. They knew Psalm 29. They could have sang that for you and probably done a fantastic job at it. And yet, when it comes to opening up their hearts to the Messiah, they wouldn't do it. Well, a couple of them did, but most of them didn't. Psalmist goes on, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? He's, he's a Lord, isn't he? Wow. More could be said about that. Um, but you have that picture of the tempest. And I won't look at the verse, but in uh, verse 29, it talks about the cedars of Lebanon being brought down, uh, really crashing at his voice, things like that. I, I could picture that from the geographic perspective of the psalmist. You go from sea level, right, to rising up over 5,000 feet into the hills of Lebanon, and those cedar trees, which their forest in the ancient times was known throughout the whole world, the cedars of Lebanon. Strong trees. Trees that weren't easily blown over. It's one of the strongest of woods that way. And yet, God in his voice can just flatten it. Sometimes we take pride in the things that will fail us. Ultimately, we need to trust in the one who is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. Well, there's also God's glory on the heavenly throne. And go back to that here on verse 10. God's glory on the heavenly throne. Verse 10 says, The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Now what's it referring to there, the flood? Was that the flood of 2008 here in the St. John Valley? No? Or how about the flood in 1990, 91, whatever it was, took out the bridge in Dickey? What what year was that? 91? No, wasn't that. Or how about Nine Mile Bridge in 1970, right? I think April 1970, that went out. Uh, That was further upstream. You know, here on this river, we have all kinds of floods that come and go per generation. But you know, this was a flood like no other flood. It's Genesis 6 flood. (laughs) Flood of the earth. A time when almost all life was destroyed. And there's time. It's in the fossil record out there. Shows a time where there were lots of species of creatures and everything else that don't even exist anymore. And things that are locked up in a fossil record. And they were locked up quickly because they didn't decay even. You know, you look at that. The record of that is on display. I always marvel how we interpret that sometimes. 
You know, the amazing thing is this, though. That's not what I'm talking about. There was a time that the world had never seen and will never see again like the great flood. And you know what? God was still on his throne at that time. I don't know what my lifetime will experience. I've seen some bad things in my lifetime, but never think, nothing like that. But I can tell you this, that the same God who was on the throne at the flood is still the same God who is on the throne today. And that's what he goes on to say. The Lord sits as king forever. A lot of thrones have come and gone here on earth, but his throne lasts forever. Isn't it great? He is the king of glory. And he goes on to say this, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You know, there was a covenant that God made with his people at the flood. After the flood, when Noah came off, uh, you know, get ready to come out of the ark and all that, God put his bow in the sky, didn't he? As a covenant reminder that he never again would judge the earth by water and thus securing peace between himself and the earth. A peace that would ultimately be found in Jesus Christ who brought peace to us, the reconciliation of the, the holiness of God and the justice of God and the judgment for our sin. And he brought it through the blood of his cross. That's how he brought us peace. But the rainbow reminds us that God brought peace to this earth. Do you know in heaven there's a rainbow? It looks a little different, apparently, not, not completely. We know from the book of Ezekiel there's a rainbow. Ezekiel chapter 1 talks about that. Revelation 4, the chapter preceding from the verses we read at the beginning of the message, John sees this. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Now we know who that one that sat on the throne is. It's Jesus, the lamb who was slain. We know that. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. There's this brilliance. The ancient jasper stone was most likely a diamond color, white with a radiance, a sardius stone is a red stone. And you see the beauty that would have been in those colors. Heaven is not a black and white place, just so you know. It's not gray. Today it's gray outside and brown. But you know what? In heaven, it's going to be sights and sounds that we've never experienced. And look what it says. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald that had a green hue to it. Someday we're going to see that. If you're a Christian, you're one of his. You will be brought up into his presence, either as you depart this life in death or in rapture, and you'll appear before him, and you'll see that too, and I will see that too. Oh, I look forward to that. Years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The people there didn't recognize him. Matter of fact, I didn't put this verse in, but in the end of that section that we read, when Jesus was uh, riding in to Jerusalem, 
Verse 40 of Luke 19 says, But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. This is what he said. Saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, that, the, the, that things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. See, their gates weren't open. For the days will come upon you when the, your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your salvation, your visitation. When Jesus came into Jerusalem to visit that city on that appointed day, they didn't understand who he was. And he weeps over that. Don't go out of this building today in Madawaska, Maine, not having known the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory. That would be the greatest tragedy of your whole life. Do you know him? Have you turned to him? Do you have that hope of the expectations of the things that await us when we get to heaven? I hope you do. Father, we thank you for your word. We are blessed to be able to contemplate on these things even today. We thank you, though you are the God whose voice thunders above anything this earth produces. You're also a God who loves us with an immeasurable, eternal love. A love that goes beyond anything we can imagine. That you would enter into your creation. You would put on flesh and in all humility go to that cross. I pray even today, if there's someone here or in the sound of my voice somewhere, that even in the quietness of this moment, they, would, they don't know you, they would turn from their sin. Say, Lord, I want to be saved. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and live it for me. And Lord, we will give you the glory for that. And I pray that people might come to you in faith. And that as believers too, Lord, we would trust you even more today. And appreciate your great sacrifice and your great glory. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.